is a liar, but we know that God speaks the truth, and that's what we want, isn't it? Amen. Oh, April when? The 14th, Freshwater down at the Rogers Theater at 7 o'clock. Uh, and, you know, Pastor Zach, I noticed that they were working on the Rogers today. Praise the Lord. Been 25 years of coming. Praise the Lord. Well, you know what? These guys are sitting over here. I'm going to move over just a little bit so I can look them in the eye if I need to. How's that? There we go. Praise God. For the Lord is good. And all the time. Yes, he is. How you guys doing tonight? You're not usually with us, but about once every two months, maybe. How many of you hear me on the radio still? About pulling up a chair, getting a hot cup of coffee and a glass of iced tea. And we'll break the bread of life together. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to talk about the lies of the enemy. There's going to be eight different lies. And tonight's the first one. I gave an introduction last week, and tonight I'm going to talk about the lie when the enemy says, I will comfort you. How many know the enemy's a liar, and when he said he's going to do anything good for you, he's not telling you the truth. He's just trying to sideswipe you and get you off track. But in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, back in those times, Jesus had not yet come. And guess what? Now we got a doorkeeper. And he doesn't let the devil in so easily. But he would come in and out with the other angels, only Satan was not a good angel. When he fell, a third of the angels fell with him. And I don't know how many there are altogether, but we know one-third of the total fell with Lucifer. And of course, Lucifer, his name, Luce, the Latin base of that means light. So the Bible describes him as an angel of light. So he will come to try to deceive you. He'll come in many different ways. How many knows that happens out here in the regular world with us all the time? Somebody's always trying to trick us. You know, I was, you know, talking to Randy and Christina on the phone yesterday, and, and sometimes you can't trust a salesman. Now, there's some good salesmen, and there's some bad ones, but you can't trust the ones that are fork-tongued and slick in their delivery sometimes. They're just trying to get you to sign on the dotted line. And so you have to discern who you're dealing with. Well, the enemy knows exactly how to reel you in if he can. He knows what your likes are. He knows what your dislikes are. He knows what would tempt you and how to get you to maybe step out of the boundary lines of safety and security 
and he tries to get you to cross those lines. And how many know that when you cross boundary lines, oh, most of the time good things don't happen. I taught a whole thing. Uh, I started the 12-step programs. In fact, I'm not bragging, but I started the first Christian 12-step program in Poplar Bluff in 2003. Then Austin Montag started what he called the 24-7 because he was helping me in the Power to Choose group down on South Broadway when I opened up in a storefront moving up from South Florida. And then we moved over to the conference center behind Marshall's there. We're there for five years. And then we bought this facility along with the other metal building over there. And uh, we had it for many, many years. But uh, I taught a whole class within the 12-step uh, realm about boundaries. And there are so many issues that work with boundaries. And sometimes a person can be aggressive, but they do it passively. You know, so they don't seem like they're real aggressive, but they're being passive aggressive. So by not doing something, they're actually making you do something. So the, the enemy's got all kinds of tricks up his sleeves. But the thing is, he would come before the Lord, and the Lord told him, Have you considered my servant Job? Because Job was a righteous man. He was so blessed. And sometimes we get on a roll, and we get so blessed that we don't understand or realize Man, as soon as you start getting blessed, you cannot let your guard down because the enemy is going to come right at you if you get blessed. And so things happen sometimes, and, and they're not always so wonderful. But so Job went out, and or Lucifer went out and attacked Job. And he took his children's lives. He took all his ability to make you know, money, so to speak. He took all his flocks. I mean, he stripped him down to nothing. His wife got so ticked off at him. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had a wife get mad at you, but it's not a good thing, you know, uh, because she said, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, she was just put out with him. Why were we so blessed and now everything's been taken away from us? What have you done? That's wrong. And you know, when you get in that situation, you could start feeling sorry for yourself. Nelson, the enemy could come because you're having such a rough time, and he can come as that angel of light. Say, let me help you. I don't know. I had four children, and I watched every video, I think, kids' video there ever was. It was VHS back then. Some people don't even know what a VCR is anymore. They know, some of them don't even know what a DVD is hardly anymore, you know. And uh, But I used to watch all those videos, and I used to watch the Jungle Book. And they had this big snake, Sir Khan. You remember that one? And he would come, and he had this voice that was real low and soothing. And he would try to get you low. And remember Mowgli, this was the cartoon version. It made his eyes look like they were going around in circles, you know, because he was getting hypnotized by the enemy. But the enemy's good at that. He tries to get you hypnotized. 
He tries to get your eyes off of the prize that you're seeking. He tries to get you to see something over here, and maybe you ought to go that way. And then you find out, my goodness, I fell right in the mud hole. And then you got to find your way out, and then you're embarrassed and ashamed when you fall in that mud hole. But, you know, what's worse than getting out of that mud hole is not trying. It's better to try and get out of that mud hole and let God clean you off again. You, you just don't give up. But the enemy comes and says, Oh, I want to comfort you. I want to help you. Nobody else is helping you. Well, let's look at Job 23 and 10. That verse says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. What is God saying? What is the word of God saying? He's saying that you're going to go through hard times, situations. You're going to go through testings. And you know, gold isn't purified except for in the fire. So if you want to come out pure gold, then you've got to come through the fire. You're going to have the fire. You're going to have the trouble. But it's how you approach it and how you stand while you're in it that it's what counts. Here's a question for you. What is the response to those who are in pain? See, people suffering, going through things, what is their response? Well... People's normal responses are, are, are maybe something like this. Well, you know, I figured one day he was going to mess up. Yeah, I thought, you know, he probably had some hidden sin in his life. Or, you know, I think they didn't take good advice. And that's why they're in the predicament that they're in. But it's not always because you did something wrong that you're facing some difficulties, sometimes God lets you go through it. You know, you can't take up for everybody all the time and keep them from encountering something painful in their life. You know, uh, I would have never met my wife if I hadn't had a few gals tell me no. You see, uh, I would have met somebody else, but... You know, sometimes you got to hear the word no. You know, that they don't, they're not wanting to go out with you or whatever. Anyway, I, I remember I, had, I was in a big church. I was a college and career pastor. And I had all these people that I could go out and hang out with. And a lot of beautiful young ladies, too. And so I just decided one day, I said, you know what? I've tried dating. And that just gets me off the track. So I'm not even going to try to date anymore. And I made up my mind. It, do, it doesn't do me no good to try to date. So I'm just going to go out with everybody. You know, as a big group, and go bowling or something. Have some fun that way. And wouldn't you know it, right about that time, one of the gals in our group, she brought her sister to church. Woo! Man, I tell you what, the hair started standing on the back of my neck. I saw her and her hazel green eyes, her black curly hair, her olive skin, just mesmerized me. I wasn't looking for anybody. 
see. I said, God, I'm not going to try to do this anymore because every time I started out on my own, I wouldn't, it wouldn't work so good. You know, you meet somebody and they look wonderful and then you find out they're not even interested in the things you're interested in. And it's kind of like they just don't look as good anymore. And so, and you find out maybe they don't think you look as good either. <laughs> in fact, my wife even told me, she says, you are my type. I was tall, skinny. I was white. When I wasn't white, I turned red from the sun. I couldn't even get a tan. You know, I just looked like uh, the guy on the outside of the red man chewing tobacco. You know, I was just red as can be when I go in the sun. But, you know, uh, over time, she started taking a liking to me. She told me, you, you're better looking now than you used to be. I said, well, praise God. God's been adjusting her eyes, giving her a new focus. And uh, eventually, you know, I, I told her one night, I said, we'd gone out to eat, and we got back to her apartment. We were sitting on the couch, and I said, you know, I've got to tell you something. I love you. Now, don't say anything. Let me pray for you. So I prayed for her. And I said, what do you think? She opened her eyes and says, well, I love you too. It's like a surprise. I said, well, good. And then it wasn't long after that till I took her out to Houston's. I don't know if you all remember that place. Kind of like Friday's. It's a restaurant, steaks and all that. Kind of like Applebee's. And we ate and we went back to her apartment. Before I went home, I was sitting there on the couch. and Her Cocker Spaniel, she had a black Cocker Spaniel. And it jumped up on my lap and all that, and I was petting it. You know, I was being a good boyfriend. And uh, then I said, well, you know, I'd really like to spend the rest of my life with you. Maybe you might want to marry me. I said, but don't say anything. Let me pray for you. I'm going to give you some good advice if anybody's single in this house. Pray first. It works a lot better that way. So I prayed. And then she looked up and she said, well, yes. I said, really? Okay. And so we ended up getting married a few months after that. But, you know, it was a deal where it was God. Sometimes we have to let go and give the reins to him. Say, so I'm going to quit trying to do it my way. My way doesn't seem to work all that wonderful. So I'm going to give it to God and let him do it his way. But the devil comes dressed up really nice. And he'll try to confuse you. He'll try to make you think he's going to make you feel better and help you. But he's not going to help you. Here's the answer to that question about what do we do with those in pain? We all must check our own attitudes and belief systems. It's not just using our beliefs, but understanding how to put the truth into practice. You see, I can believe certain things. And if I hold on to that legalistically, then I'm going to be like one of those laser beams where I'll scorch people because I know what the truth is. But sometimes the truth without any love on it, it hurts. You just cause somebody who had pain to have more pain. 
So what's more important is delivering the truth, but also being compassionate when you do it. You know, not everybody's a con man, all right? Not everybody is trying to get away with something. They just don't know any better. They need a little help, a little assistance, a little guidance. So we have to let God utilize us, not just in my belief system, because what does my belief system say? It says all the Ten Commandments. But there's two in the New Testament that Jesus told the rich young ruler. He said, first, love God with everything. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then what? Anybody know it? Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just about telling them, you killed or you stole or you did this or you coveted or you did whatever the Ten Commandments say. But it's, you know what? I'm going to love you with the love of the Lord now. I'm going to help you so that you can learn to make a better choice. And when you learn to make better choices, you'll have better feelings about everything. Does that sound pretty smart? Well, I've learned that from somebody else a long time ago. Hallelujah. Well, let's look at some points. First thing I want to talk about here is Job's friends were more concerned with theology than with compassion. When you get into church situations, and a lot of people, a lot of times, get turned off of church. And it's because people are more theological than they are compassionate. Now there was a guy, and this is way beyond a lot of your times, but there was a guy named John Wimber. He started a whole movement called the Vineyard Movement. And they have churches all over the United States today. But John Wimber was a fourth-generation North American heathen. In other words, he wasn't raised in a church family whatsoever. And so he ended up learning and working all kinds of jobs. He fell in love with this guy. They got married. They had a couple of kids. And then he ends up uh, being a real great musician. He could play 20 different instruments. Uh, Zach can play, I don't know how many, six or seven instruments. Randy can play a few instruments, and, and others that I know can play instruments. I can play about one or two chords on the piano. I can keep a basic beat with the bass drum, but getting the other ones to go with it is a little harder. I used to have a drum set, and my dad drove him nuts. And so what I did is I have a drum, had a drum set when Zach was seven. I let him go in the garage, and he just beat on him. It was all right because he was off in the garage. And eventually he learned how to play. He would watch the guys at church. And then he learned how to play the bass. Then he learned how to play the guitar. Then he learned how to play the uh, keyboard. I didn't even know he could play it. And I went in the auditorium one day. I said, who's that playing the keyboard? And it was Zach. I said, son, when did you learn to play the keyboard? He said, oh, I was just watching Pastor Steve's hands one day, and I just went to doing it. So you know what? I'm sorry, but that's called a gift. I practiced for six weeks, and I could play Born Free on the piano. 
you know, and I was free to quit because I didn't think I was ever going to get any good. But anyway, you know, you, you just got to understand that it's not all legalistic by the rules. I know you got to keep the rules. If you don't obey, sometimes if you drive too fast, what's going to happen? You're going to get a ticket. Don't get more than one. Your insurance will go up. You know? Be careful. So anyway, you got to obey the laws of the land to the best of your ability. But one time I didn't see the speed limit sign. And that was not a good ticket. Another time, I was tired and I was going out of town on east side on my way home and the trooper got me right over there by Sportsman Park. I was just zipping along and said, where are you going so fast? I said, well, here's my license. I said, I'm a pastor. We had church tonight. We had a good service. And now I'm really tired. And I was just in a hurry to get home. The trooper, he knew my kids. He had his hat on, you know. They're so stiff, you know. I don't know if they're that way when they get out of wearing that uniform. But he was like, well, pastor, slow down. And he gave him my license back. I said, uh, no. well, okay, thank you. I didn't ask if I was going to get a ticket. I drove slowly away and got, didn't have to get a ticket. But Job's friends were like that. How many of your friends, sometimes when you're in a tough squeeze, they have treated you in such a way that they were more interested in whether you were just obeying the rules or not. They didn't have enough compassion for you. Now, granted, sometimes we press the envelope a little bit. But we need to have compassion for one another and not just be legalistic about it all. But secondly, Job's friends focused on what they saw and not what they heard. Now, I was in a writing class in college. And it was early in the morning. It was about an 8 o'clock class. And I hated those classes because I liked to stay up late when I was that age, college age. And we'd play foosball to like 2 in the morning. You know, you get hooked on something. You just can't stop playing. You'd run to class, run back, and you had to play again. You know, but... Uh, Anyway, I was sitting in that class one day, Pastor Ken, and all of a sudden this guy goes up the aisle and grabs this girl's purse. He's got on a ski mask, and he runs up and shouts something and runs out the door. And we all woke up like, hey, somebody ought to run after that guy. He got that girl's purse. But then the instructor stopped us. He said, okay, I want you to stop. I want you to write down everything that you saw. And you know what? Almost everybody in that room saw something different. And that's the way it is. You ever play that game when you're a kid called gossip? Y'all ever do that? And you end up, you're in this circle, and you tell this person something, and they tell the next one. By the time it gets around, it's totally a different story. You know? It's crazy how it turns out. But see, that's what they're trying, what we need to understand. 
we need to concentrate on what we hear even more than what we think we see. See? I saw a guy, I was driving down the road. I'm just telling you a little happening. I saw a guy that I knew at the Relax Hotel. I don't know if y'all know where that's at. It's over on the highway. Well, not all bad people stay there or anything, but I saw him walking across the parking lot to go to one of the rooms. Now, I knew this guy. And you know what went in my head? What's that guy doing at the Relax Hotel? Who is he going there to meet? What's going on? And I thought the worst things. <laughs> and I shouldn't have been. Because he was just doing a job there, fixing some stuff around the hotel. But you know, your imagination will run wild with what you think you see. So you need to hear as much or more than you see. But Job's friends were like that. They just looked at what they thought they saw. They saw this guy losing everything. Something must be wrong with him. He must have sinned. There must be some great secret in his life or something that they're trying to figure out. But sometimes God just allowed you to go through something that nobody else knows or understands, and they're going to judge you based on what they think they saw. But is it the truth? See, the enemy will lie to even your friends sometimes. Well, the third thing, we must be careful not to judge someone else's journey, but hear their pain rather than assume they have opened a door to the enemy as it's not always due to being disobedient. Now, granted, you can be disobedient and you reap what you sow. But you can also plant seed and sow good things and reap good things. But just because you're going through a rough patch doesn't mean that you've been disobedient. Sometimes God loves to let us go through a rough spell so that when He brings our answer... It's miraculous. It's unbelievable what God does for you. I remember this was many years ago and there was a family looking for a car for their 16-year-old son. And they had been looking in the paper and they saw this ad that said Chevrolet hundred dollars well the dad thought well you know what even if it's a little bit of a beater we can maybe fix it up enough for him to drive back and forth to school so he went and knocked on the door and this older lady came to the door and he said well ma'am we're here to check on the Chevrolet she said well it's out there in the barn it belonged to my son and he died in the Vietnam War and uh said he left that car in there before he went overseas. And it's just sitting in there. His daddy's already passed away now. And what am I going to do with that Chevrolet? And so they go out in the barn 
and there's this car underneath a tarp. And he asked her, said, well, can we look at it? And they pulled off the tarp, and it was a 1965 Corvette. And there wasn't nothing wrong with it. He said, lady, do you know what you have here? She said, it's a Chevrolet, and I don't need it. So either you're going to buy it for $100, or I'll sell it to the next guy. He, he whipped out that $100 and said, here it is. See, sometimes we don't know that there's something just been sitting there under a tarp for a few years waiting for you or for me. But God always has a plan. Sometimes you're going through a rough situation and we don't know how on earth it's going to work out. But you know, God's never caught off guard. He's never caught by surprise. But your friends might try to convince you maybe you've done something wrong. That's why you're not being blessed. Look at brother so-and-so over there. Man, he's getting blessed right and left. But you don't know how many years he paid the price before he got blessed. Sometimes it's just a matter of learning and coming under that Holy Spirit directing force so that we can be patient to receive what God has for us. It's funny, i got a lot of car stories, but some of them... I get caught up in it if I'm not careful. The fourth thing is this. Job's friends were motivated by familiar spirits rather than being a godly comforter. So sometimes people are influenced by what they went through themselves. You know. They think because they went through a certain situation that that's what's going to happen to you. And so the enemy, he tries to come and paint a different picture, but all the while you feel this accusing spirit coming at you. And that's why the enemy uses them, but then he uses this promise over here of doing something really nice for you too. And that's where he gets you confused. The sixth thing is the devil tries to use the old shameful garment of the past as God wants us to have a robe of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I've had some things in my past I want to leave back there. I want to forget about it. I only bring them out if it's going to help somebody be able to identify and understand that they can have what God's done for me too. Otherwise, I don't glorify the things that were in my past that weren't pleasing to God. So, you know, the, the enemy would like for you to be swept away and ashamed because of what was in your past. But what can we say? Everybody's got a past. So you can choose, am I going to be shamed or am I going to be free because God has made me free? You don't have to be ashamed if God's made you free. You know? You're just a sinner saved by grace. 
Seventh, the familiar spirits and witchcraft open up our minds to divination and sorcery. Control can be in the form of witchcraft if manipulation is used to make circumstances get one's way about things. Sometimes people manipulate you. Well, if you'll come and do this, then I'll do this for you. It compromises us. Now, uh, if I've got to compromise my own convictions, I'm not going to, I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept that. It's not worth it to me to compromise them. And so, you know, you got to just make your stand and say, well, God's going to bring me through. I don't have to accept what you're offering if it's going to cause me to choose wrongly. Don't let manipulation, that's like witchcraft and sorcery. Eighth, charismatic witchcraft is when controlling prayer is used to try to make someone do what we want. <laughs> I had this one gal when I was associate pastor, she'd come say, well, I was just wondering if you could pray that so-and-so would come and sit on my side of the church because, you know, I think he's supposed to marry me. You know, I wanted to say, well, you're a fruit loop. That's what I felt like saying, you know. I can't make somebody like you or want to marry you. I'm not going to pray that, that, that God makes them, you know, turn over. Do-do-do-do. Oh, I love you. You know, like a robot or something. You know, that's manipulation. That's witchcraft. And sometimes people use prayer to try to do it. I remember this one lady. She'd tell me about her husband over and over. And he came to see Finally, he, had, he accepted to come counsel with me. So he came counseling. We were getting along pretty good. And he gets saved. I led him to the Lord. He got filled with the Spirit. He went to Israel. Him and his wife and mother-in-law, they all went to Israel with me on a trip. And then when we got back, she didn't know what to do with herself. He was such a scoundrel. Before, she started praying he'd get right with God. Well, what she do now? You know, she didn't know how to deal with a husband that was saved. She was so used to having one that wasn't saved. You know, he was a scoundrel. You know, and it's funny because when I counsel people sometimes, this guy come in there and he didn't think he was going to get anything. And uh, he talked to me and, and I talked about his wife. And he was complaining about everything. I said, well, sounds like you just got the raw end of the deal. He looked at me. He said, finally, I got somebody on my side. I said, man, I didn't know your wife was that bad. And I guess she doesn't cook very good either. Oh, she said, no, 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 now she's a good cook. I said, oh, she's a good cook, but she's still bad. He said, oh, no. I said, she doesn't even take care of the grandkids. Oh, no, she's a good grandma. I said, what about cleaning the house? Oh, she does. She cleans a good house. And finally he looked at me and he says, I know what you're doing. I was psyching him out was what I was doing. Wasn't trying to manipulate him, but 
was trying to get him to see. Your wife ain't so bad, is she? He said, you know what? You're right. I've got a good wife. I ought to try to get along with her then. Then if we could just get her to get over the fact that he got saved, it'd been all right. But that's the way it works sometimes. <laughs> but anyway. But Job had three friends. Malachi, let's look at that. Malachi 3, verse 2 and 3, it says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. You know, in other words, he can't use somebody that won't allow him to clean them up. He wants to purify us. And... Uh, I like Zach's been preaching some good messages on Sunday morning talking about how it's not just saying the sinner's prayer. Now that's a good start if you really mean it. And some people just say it and then, okay, I'm good to go. I've punched my ticket. I'm going to heaven. Well, let's just see now. Did you also repent? He talked about that. If we repented or not. You know, it says, repent, and you shall be saved. You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that he's the Lord Jesus Christ, and repent, and you shall be saved. You know, you got to repent. What does repent mean? It means don't keep going in the same direction, but turn around and go in a better direction. And what God does, he uses the Holy Spirit's work in you like a fire. He'll put that silver right in the pot and heat it up to where it melts and then they can put it into molds and it can you can make whatever you want. You know, this is my wedding band here. It's worth a lot more than it did was worth when I first got married. That was 38 and a half years ago. Price of gold's gone up. You know, but also it's worth more to me because we have had 38 and a half years of marriage to go with it. you got to go through something. You know, Bishop Webb and I, we used to swap services a lot of times. And When I was in South Florida, he'd come down and preach for me. I'd come up to Papa Bluff and preach revivals up here. But he always had a saying. I think he might have got it from T.D. Jakes or somebody. But he always said, you got to get go through it to get to it. And that's true. You've got to go through something to get to the other side of something. So you go through it so that you can get to it. God will help you so that you can come out clean. You know, I like going through the car wash. And I take my aunt. I helped her get another vehicle. And then she said, well, can you fill it up with gas? So I went and filled it up with gas. And I said, well, you ever been through the car wash? Now, she was she's 83. This is about a half a year ago, the first time. We went through the car wash. And you sit there. And you know how the thing moves? And it makes you feel like you're moving. You ever notice it? Whoa, 
man, that the thing's brushing your car, and it's foaming everywhere. And she's like a kid. She says, this is so much fun. <coughs> Going through the car wash. Remind me of that song many years ago. Car wash. You know. But anyway, she liked going through the car wash. I said, well, you know what I like is the way it looks when it gets done. And I pull it out, and I said, look how clean your car is now. She said, that's fun. That's nice. Yeah, now every time I ever go fill her car up with her, are we going through the car wash? <laughs> she likes to go through the car wash. I ought to take her to the one on the north side. It pulls you through. That's a monster car wash. She would love that one. But she'd never experienced that before. She'd come to church here. And, you know, she'd gone through life, had some hard knocks along the way. Her and my uncle endured many years, over 50 years of marriage. He died just one month shy of 91. So I started taking a little interest and taking her places and We'd take her out to eat and whatnot. Now she comes to the women's group. She comes to Sunday morning service. She hadn't gone to church probably more than four or five times in the last 50 years. And she wasn't sure. She'd make jokes like, well, I don't know. Y'all may be going up, but I'm not sure if I might not be going down. I said, well, that'd be pretty sad, wouldn't it? You want to go down? Sure is hot down there. You're going to melt when you go down there. It's not going to be any fun. Wouldn't you rather go up to heaven where it's nice and beautiful? And she says, well, I just don't know if, if I'm going to get to go. I said, well, you can decide that you're going to go. She said, well, how's that? I said, if you believe in your heart. I asked her, I said, and if you'll confess it. And I said, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Put a little extra on it. She said, oh, yes. I said, do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Well, yes. I said, do you believe he rose from the dead? She said, well, yes. Well, if you really believe that and you just said you did, the Bible says you shall be saved. You're going up. She said, that's great. She didn't know it was that easy. <coughs> but the, the thing is, once you make that decision, it doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. It means that when you're faced with a little bit of difficulty or trouble, did you know not everybody's going to be as excited as you are that you got saved? First of all, they're not all going to believe it. I was a little bit of a rounder in my college days. And I'll never forget, I really committed my life. And I said, I'm going to serve you, Lord, whatever it takes. If you want me to preach, I'll preach. If you want me to just be a basketball coach, I'll be a basketball coach. Whatever it is, it's all right with me. And I started getting these invitations everywhere to preach youth meetings. And so I got this invitation to go to Oklahoma City. And I went to a huge Assembly of God church to preach a meeting. Some of my old college friends were in that church. And 
They knew what I was like in college. And I'm preaching now? That was a miracle. Well, here I was standing outside, and the guy that was a pastor was one of my friend's dads when I was in college. We'd go to the country western bar. We'd wear our cowboy hats and boots and dance on top of the table. Well, nobody knows that much about me that way now. But I did. You know, I had a lot of fun. It was fun. I had fun in church. But you know why? Because my personality is the same. I never change. Except for my heart has changed. My lifestyle has changed. But I'll never forget standing there in that lobby. And he walks in and he's got a policeman's uniform on from top to bottom. I said, Don, I can't believe you're a policeman. And he looked at me and he said, well, I can't believe you're a preacher. I said, well, I guess we got each other, didn't we? But anyway, I've never turned back. There's no reason. This life has got too much joy, even through the hard times, even through the times the devil says, hey, if they won't help you, come over here, I'll help you. And I have to say, no, I don't need your kind of help. You know, you're not going to comfort me. That's a lie. You're not going to make me feel better. That's a, that's a distortion of the facts. Even if I don't feel so hot every day of the week, every moment of every day, I know it's going to get better. I know God is on my side. I know God is going to help me. He's going to bring you through. I'm just going to skip down to a couple of verses here. In Hebrews 13 and 15, it says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. It doesn't matter what it is that has happened. Go ahead and praise the Lord anyway. See, It doesn't matter what he's throwing my way. I'm going to praise him and he's going to move because he moves through praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. Didn't say he inhabits oh the mulligrubs. He doesn't inhabit oh I love you, I love you Lord. Oh that's nice. But he inhabits praise. God you're awesome. Woo! You're great. You're mighty. You are the one above every other name. You are the God who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I tell you what, that juice is God up. I mean, he's man, he's ready to move mountains on your behalf. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. You know, the hard times are coming and you're going to go through difficulty. But I remember that old washing machine on my back porch when I was a little kid. My mom used it and it had these rollers and she had put that pair of pants through those rollers. Anybody seen those before? Who has? Raise your hand and wave at me. Okay, y'all saw those? Man, she had put my pants through there 
And they'd go through there and they'd go in the wash and then he'd squeeze it back through and go in the rinse and then she'd squeeze it back through. She's going to go hang it up on the clothesline. And when it came out, it was like a board. You remember that? You grab those pair of pants, you could have slapped somebody with that, knocked them out, you know. But it just squeezed everything out and made it flat as a board. That's the old way. Well, God kind of does that. He puts you in the wash. He washes all your dirt away. Then he puts you through the rollers. And you go through it and you're wondering, God, where are you? And then he puts you down the rinse water. And oh, it feels good. Then he puts you back through the rollers and you think, oh my God, I never knew it was going to be this difficult. But then he hangs you up. And you dry out in the sun. And wow, you smell good. You look good. When it's dry, it feels good. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's worth clapping about. It's awesome. He says, buy that kind of blessing where you'll come through. You'll be blessed. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, I tell you what, you put Jesus first, and then things start happening. You thought you couldn't get that job, but you get that job. Or you get a better one. See, we don't need to look down and be ashamed in any way. Know this, God, he doesn't close a door unless he's going to open a door. See, anyway, there's all kinds of different scriptures. But let's look at Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We're going to close this out. It says, in this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, if you're getting what's in heaven, and that's God's will, you're getting the best. Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Man, I tell you what, that's what I want. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. Give us everything that we need. Hey, it might be more later that you need. You know, when my wife and I got married, we didn't need as much. When we had four kids, I was praying, Oh, Lord, I need my daily bread. These kids are eating me out of house and home. I need your help, Lord. Give us some more bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you want forgiveness, you've got to be able to give it. Now, this is the reality of it. I've forgiven people that I did not like. And I tried to do it with a smile. I forgive you, brother. I wish I could hit you right between your teeth. That I forgive you. You know, because the feelings are real. But you just keep saying it every time their face comes before you. I forgive them. I forgive them. Wow. They don't even bother me much anymore. Then finally, you don't even think about it unless somebody brings their name up. I forgive. And he says, well, when you forgive, I forgive. Well, guess what? Your tank begins to be filled. And you're overflowing with this forgiveness. Because I'm not going to let somebody that has a bad attitude, 
or bad habits make me miss my blessing because they made me angry. It is not worth it. So you know what? I'm just better off. I forgive you. I don't even have to tell them anymore. I fear you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Yes, I do. <laughs> and you will. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, I don't want to be tempted. And God's not going to lead you into temptation. So guess what? When you say, lead us not into temptation, you're actually saying, lead me away from temptation. Because you're asking him to do something. And when he gives you the, the green light, well, you know, go over here. No, don't go over there. No, I'm going to go where the green light is, all along the way. And you know what? I'm not going to end up in the place of temptation. Because I'm going to tell you what, temptation's hard. It's hard to deal with. Why? Because we have flesh. And the flesh wars against the spirit. My spirit says, I don't need any of that. But then the flesh says, feed me. It's hungry. And men, I'll look on this side. There's one, two girls on this side. You are moved by what you see. Women, more ladies on this side. There's still men. Women are moved by what they hear. That's why the devil will trick them some too. Oh, baby, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, it makes them feel good. I mean, they start getting, whoo, shivers all over. But most of the time men are saying, I lust you. I mean, I love you so much. No. Because of what they see. But you know what? What you see and the results of it are not always worth it. It's better to walk with God. Let Jesus be your guide. And say, leave me not into temptation, Lord, but deliver me from evil. So if you follow Jesus every step of the way, evil will depart from you. Then he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So you know what? You don't need the devil to be your comfort. The Holy Spirit needs to be your comfort. And you trust in Jesus and watch what he does for you. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you for coming. Stand with me. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we humble our hearts before you. We thank you that you show us the way and that we can follow after you. And as we do, we're always going to win, even when it's difficult. You'll help us overcome trouble and come through trials and tribulations. And when we do, we're going to be stronger and we can help others because of it. So we give you thanks for that opportunity and ability of the Holy Spirit to do that for us. And be with us all as we leave here tonight so that we might live the rest of this week as if it's the last day of our life and live it for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless everybody. Y'all have a good one. Thank y'all for coming.
Enjoyed having you? Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, brother.